This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, June 7th, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. Voluminous bills to reform the financial sector are floating around Capitol Hill, and they'd reform lots of things, but it's not clear they'll fix some of the key problems contributing to the financial crisis. Peter Van Doren, editor of Regulation Magazine, in a new feature in the magazine, says some new research indicates one key reform to fix some of those troubling incentives that triggered the crisis may be deftly avoided by congressional reformers. Let me define shadow banking by first defining traditional banking and then defining shadow banking as its successor. In traditional banking, there's something called depositors, and they have uh, CDs and savings accounts and checking accounts. And those so-called, certainly in the case of checking and savings accounts, those are called demand deposits because you can you have the right to get them at uh, uh, at any note, you know, immediately. You don't have to give notice. For CDs, of course, you do have to, you, you're in for a, a year or two years, whatever the term of the CD is. Um, and in turn, the bank takes those demand deposits and, and lends them out. And that's part of the miracle of, of banking. It's called duration mismatch, i.e., Money that is not actually put down for a long term, checking accounts and savings accounts, in turn funds loans that are long term, be they five year, 10 year, 30 year mortgages funded by money that can actually leave the next day. So in a regulated banking system, entries restricted, charters are granted by the government, um, and then in turn there's also deposit insurance since the depression to try to induce depositors never to run, never to leave the bank with that short-term money that they could if they wanted to leave, because if everyone tries to leave the bank at the same time, then uh, the money isn't there because it's actually loaned out. All right, shadow banking. The traditional banking system was is a high-cost, regulated, um, not very profitable sector. So in the 1960s and 70s, in effect, uh, free mar- or people as they are want to do, they experimented. And large corporations found that they could loan money directly uh, from the capital markets rather than go through banks. And in turn, um, companies th- realized that they could loan their money out uh, and receive interest, whereas if it were in a commercial checking account, if, if all the short-term cash that IBM has, if that were in a bank account in a regulated bank, it would not receive interest. And so the gains to trade for bypassing the uh, traditional banking system were twofold. One, the people who loaned money could loan it for cheaper by bypassing the banking system and and. And then two, demand deposit investors with large amounts of money that would not receive interest in a regulated banking environment would receive money in a shadow banking environment. And the one, uh, the, the one aspect of shadow banking that, that our listeners probably will all be familiar with, even though they've never used the term shadow banking to describe it, is our money market funds. Money market mutual funds are short-term demand deposits that are uninsured that in turn supported um, a variety of loan structures uh, that were non-traditional. Overnight repurchase agreements, this is the actual function that's used to 
move this money back and forth. In a over so-called repo or overnight repurchase market, um, I give, I'm IBM, I give some entity, let's say it's uh, Goldman Sachs or Bear Stearns or Lehman Brothers, I give them a million dollars and they give me a million dollars worth of securitized collateral. Um, or just collateral, but in as in the 2000s, the collateral was securitized loans of various types, and student loans and car loans and prime mortgages, subprime mortgages, et cetera, et cetera, where the so-called haircut that is um, was zero, i.e. a million dollars in deposits in cash is traded for a million dollars face value of of these securitized assets. And all of this lending is what made purchasing homes and cars and whatnot much easier than it used to be. And it was all entirely outside the regulated banking system. This process moves a lot of money back and forth between people who want uh, short-term loans and people who are willing to provide it. The conventional story until I read this paper, the usual conventional story by economists about why the shadow banking system developed and, and was because it was cheaper, faster, more effective. It saved society money relative to the banking system. And during the so-called Great Moderation from 1984 until 2008, when macroeconomic volatility was reduced and, and economic expansion occurred, and a generation of intellectuals grew up saying, We'd basically figured stuff out. We'd licked the problems that used to occur. We got more comfortable with all sorts of financial innovation. The shadow banking system was just seen as an important, wonderful innovation that bypassed the stodgy regulated banking system. And I myself probably, if you'd interviewed me four years ago, I would have basically said this seems... Um, this isn't bad arbitrage around regulation. This is good arbitrage and that there's no, you know, regulatory mischief involved in this. In an important paper that I've recently read uh, by Mark Rowe at Harvard, he's changing my mind a bit on whether this shadow banking system developed was somehow the product of natural market forces. And he argues that the overnight repurchase asset agreements and derivative contractual agreements were given in a series of congressional changes in the 80s and 90s and 2000s. And it wasn't just once, it was a, a gradual sequ sequence of, of legislative decisions. These kinds of assets and the collateralized investment that, that uh, they were used in were given, and, and he says, not really priority in bankruptcy, because that has a legal meaning, but he says, in effect, they were advantaged so as to be equivalent to given priority in bankruptcy proceedings. So to the extent that they're not taking a haircut, the risk of paying costs is lower, as well as reducing the other costs associated with engaging in uh, overnight lending. Correct. And so, so what Roe argues is that Bear Stearns, for example, in the early 90s, 7% of Bear's financing was repos, i.e. you can think of it as deposits. The, the money that Bear Stearns had was 9% was overnight repurchase agreements. By 2008, it was a quarter. And you could go through Goldman and the others. And they similarly went, in effect, from 
these kinds of demand deposits being a small portion of their capital structure to being an extremely large portion or a reasonable portion of their structure, which in turn, Roe argues, uh, reduced the monitoring by those investors because they had priority in bankruptcy, and two, made them more susceptible to a run because the people would take their money out immediately whenever they got worried, and then suddenly these firms would fail literally overnight, which is, in fact, what happened in 2008. So that's what a bank run essentially looks like in this repo market. Which is in the 30s, depositors went up to... Many individual depositors. Went up to banks, and so-called retail depositors went up to banks and tried to take their money out. And in 2008 and nine, no citizens, no ordinary individuals were lining up in front of banks. So for the media... The financial crisis was a bit mysterious because from an individual's point of view, our paychecks kept going to banks and the banks kept around and we didn't see anything happening. But where the, the failure that occurred was that these this overnight repo market, in effect, suddenly and quickly collapsed, leading to AIG failure and leading to um, the failure of Bear Stearns and the, um, the bankruptcy of Lehman Brothers. This is to reiterate that these agreements uh, are not a part of bankruptcies for institutions was meant to deal with a particular kind of contagion that was feared. Right. These congressional reforms in the 80s and 90s uh, that gave priority, although again, legally for those who are listening, they'll say, no, they don't have priority in bankruptcy. Mark Rowe says that in the paper. He says, no, the, the, if you look in the bankruptcy law, there actually are provisions that say what the priorities are. Nowhere will, will repo be listed. But in other parts of the bankruptcy code, um, in effect, these overnight repurchase and derivative agreements do have uh, advantages. As such, the other kind of contagion that is caused by, well, my specific counterparties are not put at risk through my failure, um, but people who get skittish have this option to essentially cease doing business with each other very, very quickly, and uh, it, it's right. a different kind of contagion. Because normally um, there's so-called clawback provisions in bankruptcy, which is if you gave a payment to a company uh, three days ago and then it goes bankrupt, you can't... Dem- you can't demand it back. So, in fact, not only that, but payments for 90 days before bankruptcy are frozen. Repos are not. So if, if, if I gave Bear Stearns money the day before it went bankrupt, and then I can, in fact, the firms did, they grabbed it back. And that, in turn, created greater risk for every other um, um, debtor and, and um, you know, who had a claim against bank or bears terms that made him worse. What does Rose's argument mean for efforts at reform uh, of the financial sector? Well, what I what I was struck by is is um, I always would tell my students and that the, the regulatory scholarship says try to find the the most important thing in the status quo that if it were changed would c- completely change incentives in such a way as to make whatever happened that was bad much less likely. So financial reform now, the bills before Congress are 1,400 pages long in the Senate, and I don't know how many pages long in the House. 
Mark Rowe and his papers convinced me that going the simple going backwards to try to make everyone subject to bankruptcy and that there are no exceptions and we really mean it would in turn create incentives for this kind of capital structure for financial firms not to exist i.e. if Rowe argues the only reason this overnight repo market was so extensive as a basis for the shadow banking system was because the parties involved knew that they could get all their money out fast, and that in turn made it more likely that a run actually would occur when anybody got skittish. So he, in effect, instead of saying we need to have a new financial reform bill passed or, or, or its equivalent, maybe what we should do first is simply go back and revisit these bankruptcy code provisions, and in turn that would in effect, make the movie run backwards much more easily than any of the other things that Congress is proposing. Peter Van Doren is editor of Regulation Magazine. His new column dealing with some of the best new research will debut in the new Regulation Magazine this summer. You can buy or read Regulation at Cato.org.